On the 14th, uh, one week from this coming Wednesday, it's going to be uh, Christmas at Westgate, a family event on Wednesday night. So you don't want to miss it. It's going to be a great night. We're going to all be together and just have a wonderful time and learn about what is the best Christmas present ever. So mark that on your calendar. Be sure to be here on Wednesday the 14th, okay? Let's all stand together and join our hearts together as we sing and worship our Savior.
first verse again. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare in room. Heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven and heaven and nature sing. You sound so good this morning. You may be seated as you take your attention to the screens. Love. Love is more than a feeling. It's beyond something we fall in or out of. Love is the unconditional sacrifice of our own desires for the well-being of others. At the heart of the Christmas story, God is lavishing his love on us. His love is why he becomes flesh. It's why he lives together with us. And it's why he dies in our place. God's love is what we need the most right now. This is an invitation for all people. Love is here. This is Christmas. Lord, we are so thankful to be in your house this morning to hear about your love for us. Jesus loved us so much. And he encouraged us to love one another. He commanded us to love one another. Love each other even as I have loved you. Lord, as we enter this Christmas season, let us remember to love each other, both inside these walls and out, to remember the love you had for us by sending Jesus, your son, to die for us. Let us remember that love that for those that may not be feeling love this season, that need to feel love from us, that we might reach out and touch their lives. Invite them to Westgate and be part of what we experience here. Lord, as we live, leave this place and listen to Raymond's sermon, let us keep in mind that 
Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice for us because he loved us. In Jesus' name, amen. I've really thrown the AV guys for a loop this morning because I didn't follow the order of service that I laid out for them. And so they're wondering what's going on now, but we're going to go to Silent Night, and then we'll show that next video, you guys, okay? His love is just so amazing. Think about what he has done for us, folks. He willingly left deity, and he came to earth on a silent night. not just so it would be a, a special time of year where we could exchange presents and have fun, but he came with a purpose. He came with a purpose to give us the ultimate gift of eternal life. And he did all that because he loves us. So amazing. Let's sing together. Silent night Oh. 
you'll take your attention to the screen. When I think about doing missions in Russia, uh, if, if I go back to the New Testament, I think about how uh, Christ sent out the 72. And he sent them with the intent of going into a place they've never been before, finding people who were warm to the prospect of the gospel, and staying with them and letting their, uh, their relationships, their home, uh, where they meet, let that be the starting point and, and going out from there. And, and boy, that is exactly what the Lord did with my and Janet's experience with Victor, Natasha, and Yulia in kind of southwest Russia in the Kursk Oblast. Uh, do you remember those early uh, days, uh, Yulia? Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about that. 25 years ago. Oh. Was it? <laughs> yes, it was. Um, Praise the Lord. Yes, it was uh, mid-90s, early 90s, where I remember being a 12, 13-year-old that had to come um, to visit my parent, uh, grandparents. Um, in Russia. In Russia. We were residing in Ukraine with my parents, all our family, and yearly um, visits were mandatory to grandparents, <laughs> of course. But there was um, one summer when we knew things were going to be different. And uh, little did we know how much different. Uh, we were expecting a friend's group of missionaries that, um, you know, introduced us to gospel and helped my parents to be saved. Wow. So, and, uh, you know, we were never the same from that point on. And I'm just so thankful for the magnitude of um, the call that was answered by missionaries. You guys... At yeah. that time, my age. Steps of faith on this side. <laughs> right. That's right. You know, you came, um, you brought other church members came. Yeah. Um, Bruce Brown, uh, Travis, Travis Brown. Yeah. We had Jordan Brown come in and so many more. And you went through villages. Mm -hmm. You went through the really tough areas um, spreading the seed, planting the seed. And it grew, it grew beautifully 20 years later. Well, and the Lord used these relationships with Victor, Natasha, and Yulia and their family to, to help us uh, have places to go because we went to Victor's village, Berezniki. We went to a little village called Kapustichi. We went to Natasha's home village called Asmolova. Mm -hmm. And through those relationships in each one of those places, uh, the gospel was able to go out, and, and those were seed beds for Victor and Natasha to work for the balance of the year, uh, and 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 then we would come back and maybe focus in a different area to give them new uh, inroads into that community. And it was the church working with the church, uh, and it was it was the seventy two going out and working with those that the Lord gave us. Uh, yeah, it's amazing to think how you know Westgate sent us out and helped us to be able to go and work That's with true. you all. And Westgate is still supporting Victor and Natasha still. Uh, you know, through our missions offerings and still uh, you know, continuing to, to spread the gospel in that area and even with the war going on right now, um, you so know, bringing relief to all of that. So much uh, been This done. relationship that has continued now for, as you said, 25 years. And, and who would have known that 
then you know God made it possible for you to move to America, yes. and now here we are working together again That's through true. Westgate and and uh, through the community in Beaumont. Well, and how it affected uh, our career uh, yeah. of moving us full time into missions, uh, and and you know the Lord had a number of things going on in His mind that He was revealing to us a page at a time, and it was uh, it was impressive to see how. Steps of faith on y'all's side, steps of faith on our side, uh, led to uh, all that the Lord's done uh, over the past uh, 25, 30 years. And, and continues to do. And continues to do. And, so, uh, it's just and, so, you know, and it's so important to continue being, you know, here amen. and support those over there. And um, that's why, you know, we have a special special offering, offering at this time. and as we come up um, Westgate to this time of, of year and we we take our, our missions offering which this year will be the Lottie offering and our church is challenged to give hundred thirty thousand dollars to missions that will go around the world to people like Victor and Natasha but other places in the world that need, need to hear the gospel what a great opportunity to be a part of that let's see where the Lord will take us So steps of faith. Our missions committee has uh, taken steps of faith saying that we want our missions offering this year, as you heard Janet say, $130,000 toward international missions. And uh, it, what is the step of faith that God is calling you to do to give toward that goal? And I pray that on the 18th, when we come together in two weeks, that you'll be ready to give with joyful and glad hearts for us to meet that goal. Let's continue singing and worshiping our Savior, O Little Town of Bethlehem. Bless 
As you're seated, children, it's time for children's time, so you can make your way down here with Pastor Raymond. Thanks, choir. They're taking your spot, aren't they? They're in the way. You guys have a spot for me somewhere in here? Right here, maybe, huh? Are y'all all ready for Christmas? Yay! Oh, Christmas is going to be so exciting. No? I saw your Christmas card this week. Did you know that? I did. And this is a big old Christmas card. Did you guys get this in the mail? No. Have you seen this? This is a way that we can invite people to church. Do you ever invite people to church? Iva, come on up here. You can sit right here. We're so glad to have you and your family visiting with us again. How's Louisiana treating you? Good. Really? <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad you guys are doing so well over there. We miss you, but we are so glad things are going well over there. Everly, do you want to sit down? No? Would you like to speak? <laughs> no? Okay. I want to tell you all about a Christmas gift I got a long time ago because, remember, we're talking about these wonderful Christmas gifts that people have been uh, telling us about on the videos. And when I was in third grade, any of you in third grade? Pretty close to third grade? Well, when I was in third grade, I got a Super Bowl. I was so excited. Have you ever heard of a Super Bowl? It's a little ball, looks about like the size of a tennis ball, is black. And when you would throw it down, it would bounce like crazy in the air. It goes so high. That's why it's called a Super Bowl, because it would bounce so much. I was so excited to have a Super Bowl. That was one of the 
favorite gifts that I'd ever received. And we started playing with the kids in the neighborhood. And this big old kid, he's in eighth grade. He lived across the street, and he took my Super Bowl, and he was going to make it bounce really high. And he slammed it down on the street, and we were all looking for it to go way high. And my Super Bowl <laughs> broke in half. And that was the end of my Super Bowl. I was so sad. Do you know who fixed my Super Bowl? Your dad. Nobody. My Super Bowl never got fixed. And you know, sometimes in our life we feel like those kinds of things happen and we think it'll never get fixed. But you know, the Bible tells us that nothing is impossible with God. He can fix anything in our lives. And I hope that you'll remember that. That's a great idea. My Super Bowl, I think, ended up in the trash about 50-some-odd years ago. But we can pray about anything, can't we? Because nothing is impossible for God. And I hope that you remember that. And when you go out and you tell your friends, your neighbors, and give them these cards to be here for our musical next week, remind them that nothing is impossible with God. And today we have a very special opportunity for you guys to go into the choir room. We have a special Christmas uh, situation for you over there, something that you're going to get to watch. So let's pray together and thank God that nothing is impossible with Him. Lord, thank you that as we celebrate Christmas, we do think a lot about toys and gifts and lights and decorations. But help us to remember the most important thing of all is that you came to give us life in all of its fullness in which nothing is impossible for you. Help us to believe that with all that we are. Thank you for these children. Pray that this will be a wonderful Christmas season for them in which they're reminded of how much you love them. And as they go into their special time right now, just allow it to be a very uh, important time of worship for them. In your name we pray. Amen. And be sure to invite somebody for next week, okay? All right, you guys get to go. You get to go all the way back there into the choir room. Special time for you guys today. While they're making their way back there, I want to... Uh, remind you guys to use those cards to, to invite somebody for next week. And um, great opportunity to be here for the, the musical and people that won't come to church uh, will have an opportunity to come and hear music in which it could really change somebody's life. And uh, take, take your keys out for just a second. I'm just curious, anybody here, take out your keys for just a second. Again, Greg, Ansley, so good to have you guys back. And I'm glad that Louisiana is treating you well. But... Uh, and Easton's here somewhere, so good to have you guys here. So you can take your keys out, uh, just you pull your keys out real quickly. Uh, does anybody in the room have a key to Bridge City? Anybody? I'm thinking we have somebody in our midst that has a key to Bridge City. Anita? Congratulations on being designated as a distinguished alumni, Bridge City, and you have a key to the city now, right? Would you stand up for just a moment? We just, what a, what a great honor. What a distinguishing honor to have something like that. Wow. 
And I know there's all kinds of things happening, and if ever we miss you, you be sure and let me know, okay? We can't, we can't recognize everything, but when you get a key to the city, that's a pretty big deal. I want to remind you that on um, December the 11th next week, we had planned to go out into the community uh, down in the Avenues area to help out with um, Alianza and Marcha. I think I've got that pretty close. Is that pretty close? Uh, that's the Hispanic church that we're working with. Noemi was here with us with our ladies' event, and I think if we sum up the ladies' event uh, from this last Thursday night, Clint Stewart said it perfectly. Wow. It was really impressive. She was here to speak and among others to talk about all the different opportunities that we have going on. And we will not be going out into the neighborhoods. We, we have repurposed that whole idea. They're trying to use some local uh, stores in the community to distribute the books in the Spanish community. So rather than going door to door, door to door, they felt like that might be a better option. So we won't be doing that, but we want to support them. And also Burt Brown's Sunday school class is collecting donations that will be out in the atrium after the service if you want to give to help buy uh, gifts for children down in that area that may not have much of a Christmas otherwise. You can give after the service in the atrium. Uh, and again, a reminder, just as we go into this uh, Lottie offering in honor of Lottie Sandusky for the uh, missions offering this year, I hope that you'll be very generous. I hope that you'll be very sacrificial. And I wanted to clear something up that I, I said the, uh, a couple of weeks ago, just a reminder. This is not where you redesignate your tithe to go to this offering. This is where you give above and beyond, in which we have the opportunity, and the beauty of that is we have the opportunity to sacrifice, to say to God, we believe that that is more important than a lot of other things that we could spend our money on. So it's a good opportunity to sacrifice. Uh, so I think we have something on the screens here to show you guys real quickly. This station is not responsible for and does not endorse any claims, products, or advertisers mentioned in this program and disclaims any liability for any representations, availability, conditions, and or quality. Well, you got a one call about uh, this message, but that's the disclaimer that is aired each week at 10 a.m. by ABC before our Westgate TV broadcast comes on television. You probably had no idea that we did such edgy stuff on television. And I imagine that disclaimer probably creates several results to people that are watching on television in the community. Realize, first of all, that something very ominous is about to happen, right? And some will quit watching, they'll just stop right there because they don't want to go down that dark road. And then some will stay tuned just to see what's lurking behind the door. And if you've ever seen our television broadcast on Sunday mornings, you will know how threatening it is to watch Christians sing and the Bible being taught and the gospel being offered to everyone. That disclaimer kind of makes me laugh about some of the stuff you see on television. You've probably seen uh, a show on television and in which they put up the disclaimer that the following program includes smoking. Now, they're going to present you with all kinds of ungodly content, but they want you to know that they're really concerned about your well-being, so they alert you that you may be exposed to images of people smoking on that program. I wonder how many people grab their remote at that point and say, oh, I don't want to watch that. The disclaimer today, because of the content, reminds us that 
There is a movie rating out there. And if you were to rate the Bible, what movie rating would you give it? G? PG? PG-13? R? Well, today, we'll see it's certainly not G. Thus, we gave the parents an opportunity to send their kids into another room. This is my 25th Christmas sermon series at Westgate, and I imagine it will be the most memorable. Not because it'll be great, but because of the content that we're going to consider. Two of the four Gospels include the genealogy of Jesus, humorously referenced as the Begatitudes, because they remind us of who begat, who begat, and who begat. They remind us that everyone has a genealogy, even Jesus. There's a whole lot of interest in genealogy these days, especially since the internet has made it so easy for you to do research right from the convenience of your home computer. And when you think about your ancestry, we usually picture a family tree that looks something like this. Clean lines that move from generation to generation. But once you start digging into the ancestry of your family, you'll find that many of our family heritage looks a lot like Charlie Brown's Christmas tree. Like that. Not the neat graphs of an ancestry chart. And that's why we're calling this series Ancestry. What? We're going to look at several people in Jesus' family tree, and we're going to be somewhat surprised by what we find. In most Bibles, you will find a blank page between the Old Testament and the New Testament. So if you have your Bible, would you go ahead and, and open that up? And if you don't have your Bible with you, or you only have your, uh, your app on your phone, you can pull out a pew Bible and turn to page four, 1496, and you'll see what I mean, a blank page between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And most of the time, we think that's just a page to turn. But it represents something very significant. Now, although, that Mark, although Mark was the first gospel that was written chronologically, when the canon was established finally in the 4th century A.D., Matthew was listed as the first book in the New Testament. And we know from the study of James even that the books are not arranged in chronological order. And as we look at that, we find that between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there are 400 years. That blank page represents the silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament. We can't even fathom that. Four centuries between what God spoke in the Old Testament and what God gave in the New Testament. Malachi ends with the ominous message of a curse. And the New Testament begins with a message that Jesus came to break the curse of sin. Matthew introduces Jesus as the Savior of all humanity, and he does so in a rather unusual way. He starts with the genealogy of Jesus, and by the second sentence, he has everyone confused. Now, we've read over the genealogy so many times of Jesus, we've lost the sense of what it represents. By the second sentence, every Jew would be knowing that there are two things wrong with this for sure. 
First of all, you don't include women in the genealogy. And secondly, you shouldn't include any incriminating information when you're talking about the Messiah. But rather than present this pristine picture of Jesus' pedigree, by the fourth and fifth generation from Abraham, things not only get messy, they get real messy. He takes us back to Genesis chapter 38, and what we see there is this unique story that is couched. Have you ever read the Bible and wondered why in the world is that in there? Today you're going to get a little bit of a clue as to why this story is in the Bible because Genesis 38 is couched between Genesis 37 and 39, if you didn't quite catch that yet. And Genesis 37 is talking about Joseph being sold into slavery by his brothers. And then Genesis 39 talks about Joseph being down in Egypt in Potiphar's house. But in the middle of that, there's this absolutely bizarre story that led me to say, Jana, can you take the kids out on this particular Sunday? Talk about a messed up family. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 1 to begin, and then we'll jump over to Genesis chapter 38. <clears throat> Here's what I was talking about. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, this is Matthew writing. Again, he is introducing the Messiah to humanity. He closes out his book with a great commission of calling the church to go into all of the world, telling everyone about Jesus Christ. He is the Savior for all people. And he introduces the Messiah, the one that everyone has hoped for, wished for, longed for. 400 years of silence are now over. Here's who he is. The son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, Zerah by Tamar. And we would normally just keep moving, right? What does that tell us? Well, we find the story embedded in Genesis chapter 38. Right between, it's like an interlude between Joseph being sold into slavery and Joseph being down in Egypt. And it says, at that time, beginning in Genesis 38, verse 1, at that time, Judah left his brothers. Good time to leave. They just sold their brother into slavery. And that, by the way, Judah was the one who came up with the idea. Reuben was trying to save him. They'd thrown him into the cistern. They were going to kill him. Reuben's trying to save him. Judah comes up with the idea, hey, why not just let's turn a profit on our brother? And so they sold him. That was his idea. And then Judah goes off and he gets married. And the story begins by telling us that Judah, who will be Jesus' lineage, will come from Judah, as did David, because Reuben had sacrificed his right to that position. And you can read about that in the Bible as well. I'm not going to go into that because that's more uh, X-rated. He married. And after he married, he had two sons, talking about Judah. The first one, his name is Ur, but it's spelled E-R, and I really like to pronounce it Er because he was full of errs. Second one was Onan, and then the third was Shelah. Judah went out, and he got a wife for his firstborn. Firstborn, Ur. But it tells us in Scripture that he was such a wicked individual that God killed him. Don't take that lightly. 
And so because of the Levert Law, Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 5 and 10, it's a very unusual law. The Levert Law is, is written out uh, for God's people, and it's used in other cultures as well. But if a brother died before he had uh, a son, then the brother-in-law, or his brother, was supposed to marry the, his sister-in-law, which is his brother's wife, and to have children that way, and the, the child was to be named after the brother that had died. And so Judah says to Onan, you need to fulfill that responsibility. So he takes Tamar, who Er was married to, and she becomes his wife. But you see, he doesn't want, there's a sibling rivalry going on. He doesn't want his name to be lost on a child, and so he doesn't fulfill his responsibility. I'm not going to explain that, you can read it. He does that in a very mm, R-rated way. And so, the God, so God sees that as wickedness because he didn't do what Scripture called him to do. And because it was seen as wickedness, God kills him. So we have two of three brothers that have died because God noted their wickedness. And so Judah recognizes that because of the Leveret Law, then Shelah would be the next one to marry Tamar. But do you see the way this story's going? And he says, if Shelah, my only remaining son, if he marries this lady, there seems to be a pattern that he's going to die. So he tells Tamar, hold off for a while. He was younger anyway. Just hold off for a while. You live as a widow with your father. When Sheila is old enough, then you can marry him. All along thinking, that's never going to happen. Time goes on. It says in verse 12, after a long time, Judah's wife died. Are you following the story? And just put a B by it. It is bizarre. Judah's wife dies. And, so the, and there's a point to all this, too, believe me. God doesn't give us scripture for no reason. After a long time, Judah's wife died. And after Judah had recovered from his grief, he went to Timnah. Have you heard about Timnah before? It's just a dangerous place. That's where Samson went, and he found this lady that he thought he wanted to marry, and everything went south from there, and it was all kinds of of bad happenings, and Judah's about to do the exact same thing. He's going there to shear some sheep with his friend. I'm sure some of you probably have that on your docket for the Christmas holidays, to go shear sheep with friends. So they went along, and as they are approaching the city, Tamar gets word that her father-in-law is coming to town. The father-in-law who did not fulfill the responsibility of letting her marry his youngest son, and so she disguises herself. She takes off her widow's clothes, and she disguises herself as a prostitute. And now you see how the story gets really dicey. When Judah is approaching the city, he sees what he thinks is a prostitute. And so he enters into this bargaining session. 
And he asks her if she will fulfill her prostitutional job description. And she asked, what are you going to give me in return? You know it's not a good story when the guy says, I'll give you a goat. (laughs) That's what he promises. But then she says, okay, since you don't have the goat, what are you going to give me now? Will you give me the seal and the staff that you have in your hand as a pledge that you will send me that wonderful goat in the future? So he agrees, gives her the seal, the cord, and the staff, and you know. She then puts on her widow's clothes again, goes back to her home, And Judah tries to do what he thinks is the responsible thing. He sends a goat back. But when he sends the goat back, they can't find the prostitute. And so they ask the question, where is the shrine prostitute? The people of Timnah says, we don't have a shrine prostitute. So Judah comes to the conclusion that we just better let all this thing go. Because it says in verse 23, let her keep what she has or we will become a laughingstock. Little did he know God's word would encapsulate this story for millennia yet to come. Three months go by. It's discovered that Tamar is pregnant. So the message is sent back to Judah that your daughter-in-law is guilty of prostitution. And here's what Judah says in verse 24. Bring her out and have her burned to death. Now, in Leviticus chapter 21, verse 9, that was a punishment for a priest's daughter who was guilty of prostitution. She was not a priest's daughter. But nonetheless, that was the calling. As they were taking her out, to fulfill capital punishment for her sin, she sent a message to Judah, her father-in-law. I am pregnant with the man who owns these. And she holds up his staff and the cords and the seal. And then you have Genesis chapter 38, verse 26, that just has to make you laugh. Judas, Judah recognized them and said, she is more righteous than I. And I'm thinking, there ain't nobody righteous in this story. <laughs> and he's saying, she is more righteous than I am because I didn't do what I was supposed to do to give her, Sheila, my thirdborn son, because I was afraid that he would die just like the other two sons that she married. Meanwhile, it tells us in verse 27 that when it came time for her to give birth, since they didn't have ultrasounds back then, it was discovered that she had twin boys. And there was sibling rivalry even in the womb because the first one stuck out his hand trying to get out. And there's such a big deal about being the firstborn in biblical times. And so the midwife wraps a scarlet cord around his wrist to say he was the first one, but then he pulled his hand back 
and his brother Perez came out, and his name means breaking out, and he was the one who was born first. And then Zerah comes out, and he's the one with the scarlet uh, ribbon wrapped around his hand. And then the story ends, and we go back to Joseph down in Egypt. And we're all left thinking, why in the world did we have to take that mud bath? And why in the world did Matthew, who after 400 years of silence and is celebrating the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he's the one who did this. Why did he introduce all of this? And there are a couple of good reasons for us. It's to remind us of our desperate need for a Messiah. Because we are a messed up people. We have sanitized. We understand sanitation, don't we? I mean, we have, we have done our hands so many thousands of times throughout the last several years. We know what it is to get the germs off. And we have sanitized the story of Scripture to believe that our sin is not as bad as it is. And Scripture reminds us in the genealogy that Jesus came for that very reason because none of us are righteous to remind us that Jesus is coming divine without sin to redeem those with sin. Now, as you were listening to that story going into the Christmas holidays, knowing who might be coming to your house, you were thinking, man, I thought our family was messed up, but I think we're good. Not so bad after all. I think we can handle that. But this story reminds us that there is no mess beyond God's redemption. There is no mess beyond God's redemption. Matthew tells us this story to remind us that God can redeem anything, no matter how bad it seems, even something like this. We go to the end of the New Testament, and we think about the coming opportunity of being with Christ for all of eternity, and it says in Revelation 21.5, oftentimes used at funerals, and rightly so. But it reminds us that Jesus says, I am making everything brand new. Why do things need to be made brand new? Because they're busted up by sin, and he redeems them. Two aspects for us to remember from the story. First of all, your mess is not beyond God's redemption. Many times... People stand at a distance from God. They may, they may actually be a follower of Christ, but they stand at a distance from God because of the sin in their life, the greatest regret of their life, and they stand at a distance to say, Lord, thank you for being my Savior, but I know that you never can redeem this. And so we walk at a distance feeling as if we are somewhat of a second-class Christian. Right before the pandemic hit, I had the opportunity of going with my son-in-law over to India. And when you walk into India, you're immediately aware of the caste system. People from the very beginning, from birth, their genealogy says you will never be beyond this. You must remain in the lowest position of society while others are born in a caste in which they will be in the upper echelon of society. And they can't change it. That's the way it is. And sometimes we feel as, 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 a, as a church or as Christians or people or humanity in general that, that there's a caste system. Some people are better than others, and that's just the way it is. 
And here is Matthew reminding us that God redeems any situation in our lives. So let me ask you, is there something in your life that you need to give to God? You just need to let it go and say, God, would you redeem this mess in my life? And the second aspect is the mess of others is not beyond God's redemption. To redeem means to make right. And sometimes we look at other people and and we're guilty of creating a caste system. And to say, but you do know what they did, right? You do know about this, right? And, And we say that the mess in their life is something that God can't redeem. And so we create this barrier. And we push people down rather than allowing them to experience the fullness of God's redemption in their life. We may have someone in our life in which we have, we have renamed them impossible. They agitate us, they frustrate us in exasperation. We say, you're impossible. Don't forget, though, Matthew in chapter 19, verse 26 says, with God, all things are possible. Nothing is impossible with God. So as we read this genealogy that tells us about the Messiah, as we enter into this Christmas season to be reminded that, that your mess is not beyond God's redemption, nor is the mess of other people. Yes, there's a difference between forgiveness and trust. You don't just immediately trust somebody that embezzled a million dollars from you. But you do forgive, and you allow God's grace to come over it. Dr. T.B. Maston was an incredible ethicist professor, esteemed professor. When I was at seminary, he was, he was in the waning years of his life, but he used to say, God can hit a straight lick with a crooked stick. See, whatever we have in our life that's crooked, God can hit a straight lick with a crooked stick. We often try to control the narrative of our life, don't we? When sin enters our life, we want to try to control it, massage it, make it where people don't think it's so bad, or we try to protect ourselves from the consequences of it. And this message tells us we don't have to protect the narrative. They didn't protect the narrative of Judah and Tamar. It's right there in Scripture for anyone to see. Don't have to protect the narrative because God can change the narrative. He can create a new narrative. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, we're reminded that if we are in Christ, everything is brand new. The old has gone away. Behold, everything is new. And if you read it in your translation, you will see at the very end of that an exclamation point. It's not just a statement, but it's an emphatic statement to say this is what happens in Christ. Friends, do you have a mess that you haven't allowed God to redeem yet? Let him redeem it. If you're not yet a follower of Christ, know that God loves you. That's why we have all of this in Scripture. God loves you, and he's created you to have a relationship with him. That's why Christ came. But our sin is no different than Tamar. No different in consequence. We might quickly say, whoa, whoa, I haven't done anything like that. Maybe not. But the consequence of our sin is no different. And our sin alienates us and separates us from God. We need to be redeemed and restored to relationship with God. And only Jesus can do that. But thankfully, he can. You don't have to do anything beyond Christ. Jesus, all by himself, can redeem us and make us right with God. What we do have to do is repent. That's a word that some people don't like too much. But it simply means to turn away from our sins and turn to Christ. To say, I want you, Jesus, more than I want my sin. And when we do that, when we humbly repent of our sins, we can be changed for all of eternity. 
the narrative of our life, the destiny of our life can be changed forever. If you've never received Christ, I pray that you would join me in this prayer in just a moment. If you're already a follower of Christ, why don't you begin to pray for someone that's not yet a Christian or maybe someone in this room that you know is not yet a Christian, that they would embrace Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. And if you're a Christian who is carrying a mess that you've not yet, not yet allowed God to redeem, would you give it to him today? Let's pray. God, we thank you for messy stories of Scripture. These messy stories remind us of the truth of your word. You don't try to hide things from us. You display sinfulness in all of its fullness for us to see our desperate need for you. To be reminded that there is nothing beyond your possibilities. You can redeem any mess in our lives and in the lives of other people. People that we have given up on. God, may we repent and submit our perspective to you. Plead with you to give them a new narrative. Lord, anyone in this room listening online that has never received Christ as Lord and Savior, I pray that today, as we begin this Christmas season, they would voice a prayer similar to this. Lord Jesus, I recognize that I am a sinner in desperate need of your forgiveness. Please forgive me of all my sins and become the Lord and Savior of my life. I surrender to you all that I am and all that I have. And I will follow hard after you the remaining days of my one and only life. Lord, if anybody has prayed that prayer, I, I pray, Lord, that they would recognize their new beginning with you. They would seek direction and guidance from your word and from other believers and through a church so that they really can follow hard after you the remaining days of their one and only life. Lord, for those of us that are holding back a mess or two or three in our life that we think are beyond your capacity to redeem, would you help us to just turn our, our hands, palms up, say, God, we give it to you. Please redeem it as only you can. And God, if we are holding someone else at a higher expectation than ourselves and believe that they will never change, help us to believe that their mess can be redeemed as well. Thank you for your goodness, the goodness that we celebrate, especially at this Christmas season. In your name we pray. Amen. Love y'all. Thanks for listening. And if you feel like you need to make a decision to, to receive Christ, to know more about Christ, to follow in believers' baptism, to be a member of this church, to have someone to pray with you, our deacons will be standing at the end of each one of these aisles back here in the back. You can go back and pray with them. I'll be standing over at the cross. And you can meet us after the service out in the atrium at the Connection Center. You can use one of these communication cards to fill out and say, I'd like for someone to, to talk with me at greater length about this issue in my life. And you can just drop it in one of the offering boxes in the atrium. Let's stand together, let's pray, and allow God to continue to minister to us in worship. Emmanuel, Emmanuel, His name is called Emmanuel, God with us, revealed in us.
You have a great week. See you back here next week for our worship ministries Christmas production.